What is going on, everybody? This episode of the Golf Guide podcast is, of course, presented by Golf Guide Magazine, your number one resource to find information on every golf course in every state touching the Pacific Ocean. And starting in 2019, Golf Guide Magazine is going to become the Pacific Coast Golf Guide, meaning we will have information on every golf course in California, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, and Nevada. Because, you know, you can't let you know Vegas and Reno get left out of the whole mix. So anyway, to pick up a Golf Guide magazine, go to a golf course near you, ask for a golf guide. If they don't have one, tell them they need to get them. And, uh, you know, if you still can't find one at a golf course near you, go ahead and shoot me an email at kyle.golfguide.net, and we'll get one uh, sorted and sent your way ASAP. But anyway, Pacific Coast Golf Guide magazine. Learn more at golfguide.net. And uh, that's pretty much it. So got a quick podcast for you all this week. I got uh, places to be and, and things to do, but I certainly can't leave you guys out in the cold. So let's get to it with another episode of the Golf Guide podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Kyle Serlo here, uh, you know, host of your Golf Guide podcast. It's very nice to have you back for another iteration of this delightful, uh, you know, little brief golf conversation I get to have with y'all every week. But uh, as I mentioned in the intro, got a, a brief one for you this week. I'm actually going to be on my way heading up to Portland, Oregon for a wedding and to visit some friends in the golf industry up there this weekend. And of course, uh, you know, got a few other things, a couple other loose ends I need to tie up. So uh, I'm going to keep it relatively brief, but we're going to pack this thing full of good information for you guys to get you your uh, your weekly uh, dose of golf news in, so you can feel informed. So when somebody comes up and starts talking golf with you, you can be like, "Bro, I just I know more than you." Okay, so you don't need to lecture me. But anyway. Let's get right to it. A couple of uh, professional golf notes for you guys. Uh, as of yesterday, Brooks Kepka in a uh, what was no surprise to anybody, uh, wins the PGA Tour Player of the Year honor. Brooks Kepka, of course, winning half of the major championships in 2018, taking home uh, the U.S. Open from Shinnecock Hills and also the PGA Championship by narrowly defeating one Eldrick Tiger Woods. Um, so, well done for Brooks Kepka. It appears that he's still not any nicer to my boy Alan Shipnuck, so still going to reserve judgment on uh, Brooks in terms of anointing him one of the greatest golfers in the world, but it is a well-deserved uh, Player of the Year honor for Brooks Kepka. so good for him. Uh, also, speaking of Kepka, Jim Furyk in the last week has finally come out and talked about the uh, the mayhem and just the real, just all the nonsense that happened around the Ryder Cup. I know last week's... Uh, you know, last week's podcast ended up being more of, as I mentioned, like a TMZ-type episode where we just had drama on top of drama for y'all. And, uh, you know, Jim Furyk came out and eased the rumors about Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka getting in some sort of an argument. Uh, it appears they did have, you know, a little uh, a little tough, uh, you know, or, yeah, what, what, is, what is that word, tiss or tough? Or, it does sound like they did get into a little bit of an argument, but uh, Jim Furyk equated it to two brothers fighting and being perfectly fine afterwards, which... Uh, from all the comments we've heard from Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka after the fact, it really does appear that there's really nothing uh, of note that happened. If they got in an argument, you know what? Good for them. All right. Good for them. Glad they are big enough humans to be able to get over it. So it doesn't seem to be anything there. Um, and, and also kind of continuing from a little bit more nonsense surrounding the Ryder Cup. Uh, you know, John Feinstein, uh, who is a wonderful, wonderful golf writer, he's written several books, uh, you know, 
both fiction and nonfiction uh, surrounding golf, and is just a really outstanding journalist. Uh, did basically wrote an article laying out how the U.S. needs to learn from the Europeans, and they need to learn how to be gracious losers. Um, you know, Patrick Reed's basically snipering many of his uh, USA teammates after the fact uh, is really turning out to make Patrick Reed look like an even bigger jackass than many of us already thought that he was. Um, it's now come out that uh, he was not blindsided um, the week of, you know, by his pairing with Tiger Woods. Uh, Justin Thomas has even come out and confirmed that uh, Patrick Reed knew well in advance. I mean, we're talking weeks and weeks in advance that he was going to be paired with Tiger Woods. It was not Jordan Spieth's request to not be paired with Patrick Reed. Um, it's just, you know, if I had to take a guess, it's that Tiger Woods has spent his entire career, um, you know, with people yelling at him, people being dickheads, people just being generally obnoxious all the time around it, and he has just been able to zone those people out and just achieve great things and play spectacular golf. And so... What better guy to pair with the biggest jackass on tour and not get distracted than Tiger Woods uh, being paired up with Patrick Reed? That That's my thought as to why Jim Furyk may have paired those two together. But uh, lo and behold, we'll never totally know. Who knows if Jim Furyk will ever be 100% honest uh, with the media or with us, the, uh, the golf fans of the world. But anyway, Patrick Reed looking like he has uh, just got an even bigger egg on his face than... Uh, it seemed like after coming out of the Ryder Cup when he was talking a whole bunch of mess about everybody at uh and it's which is really too bad cuz you know I I've said it on this podcast before Patrick Reed has got an exceptional golf swing he is so damn good at golf and if he just was even just remotely not an idiot even if he just had just an ounce of social grace and know-how he could be a huge star and you know he certainly is doing a great job of turning himself into the heel of the PGA Tour, and to his credit, the PGA, it, it does kind of need a villain, and Patrick Reed is definitely filling that void, so who knows, maybe, maybe this will actually turn out to be a good thing for golf journalism and stuff like that as we head into 2019, where, you know, Patrick Reed will paint himself as the big villain of the PGA Tour, and uh, people are kind of actively rooting against him, but maybe that just, you know, fuels this fire and leads to him winning more tournaments, which all in all would be good for the PGA Tour, but as it pertains to the 2018 Ryder Cup, Patrick Reed, you know, long story short, is just looking like an asshole. And uh, I, I hope, I wish that was not the case, but, you know, here we are, October 10th, and uh, that's the way that it is. And uh, also, one last thing about the uh, Ryder Cup. It does turn out that, uh, you know, this is likely or was likely going to be Phil Mickelson's last Ryder Cup as a player, uh, he certainly is in the mix and probably will be a captain uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future, but uh, he has made it known that it's probably going to be his last Ryder Cup as a player. Uh, 2020, it's probably not going to happen. Phil is already 48 years old, so he's going to be 50 uh, by the time that 2020 Ryder Cup rolls around. So, And he also had some, uh, some interesting comments um, kind of on the setup, you know, certainly you know, after playing the Safeway Open this weekend and having, you know, a lot shorter and less penal rough at uh, at Silverado than they did over in uh, in Paris at Le Golf National for the Ryder Cup, uh, you know, Phil was just making some comments how, you know, he, he thought the landing areas and the fairways are way too narrow. He did misstate it and say that, you know, some fairways are only 15 yards wide where, uh, you know, Jeff Shackerford did some reporting saying he really didn't see many landing areas more narrow than 20 yards and most of the time it was up to 30, but... Um, and, and, but Phil's making this point in that 
as guys are hitting the ball farther and farther with, you know, the majority of the guys at the Ryder Cup certainly hitting the ball 300 yards off the tee, that the longer you hit the golf ball, the larger the variance is in the outcome uh, in terms of, you know, the width uh, where you would, you know, identify that as a good golf shot. You know, Ben Hogan, when he was hitting the ball off the tee and he was in his driver, let's just assume that he was probably hitting it 250 off the tee with his driver. Well, at 250 yards, let's say there's a five-degree variance and where you can go, that means maybe there's a width of, let's say, 20 yards. Where Ben Hogan hits a good golf shot, you know it's going to land within 20 yards left to right. And Phil is arguing that with these golf courses getting longer and longer, you know, with guys now hitting at 300 yards, that 5% variance now is going to be something like 30 yards or 35 yards. Now, don't go into any math on this. I'm just kind of using these numbers as an example for you. But this was Phil's argument for why he thought Le Golf National was a little too narrow because... As he's stating, as these guys are getting longer, a good shot is still going to have a wider variance of outcomes. And uh, that creates a whole other problem for all these golf courses because we've obviously been hearing how they need to get longer and longer and longer. But now it seems that in order to have the same, you know, to present players with the same challenge in terms of hitting fairways and things like that, that these golf courses not only are going to have to make these golf courses longer, but they're going to have to make them wider. And by making golf courses wider, that means uh, more turf needs to get managed. By having more turf that needs to get managed, that means to in- increase the acreage of the golf course. Increasing acreages of golf courses, of course, means more money spent on real estate. More money spent on real estate means cost arising. And it, you know, it's just a snowball effect of all these things happening. So as if there was not enough of an argument for the PGA Tour and the governing bodies to kind of uh, put a little bit of this equipment in check and kind of slow things down a little bit, uh, there is yet another argument from Mr. Mickelson, who, speaking of which, as we're talking about Phil, let's lead into our last thing uh, as it pertains to professional golf. And that was this past weekend. Of course, Bay Area residents were able to go watch the big boys on tour uh, in person at the Safeway Open at Silverado Resort in Napa. Uh, Kevin Tway actually ended up winning, uh, finally, uh, winning an event on the PGA Tour. He had an excellent, excellent weekend that was capped off by a playoff win over Brent Snedeker and Ryan Moore. Uh, this was Brent Snedeker's tournament to win, and he coughed it up on the back down on Sunday, making several bogeys to force himself into a playoff uh, in which he lost and was eliminated on the first hole. And then I believe Kevin Tway uh, defeated Ryan Moore with a birdie on the third playoff hole. So uh, a hearty congratulations to Kevin. Uh, well done, my friend. Phil Mickelson, as I mentioned, was a participant in the Safeway Open. Uh, he was he was out there just firing bullets on Thursday and Friday, but he ended up finishing uh, with a top 20 finish, tied for 17th at 8 under par, just six strokes back of the leaders. And uh, the other little note was one of my all-time favorite golfers. I mean, I'd say behind Tiger Woods, Fred Couples might be my second favorite golfer of all time. He's just got the smoothest most relaxed swing. I know there's an argument to be made for Ernie Els, but everything about Freddie's swing, I love. The guy doesn't use a glove. He's chill. He seems like he loves having a good time. I know he loves to gamble. Um, and overall, Fred Couples, just just an outstanding human being in the golf world. And uh, I know Fred lit the world on fire. I think he fired a 65 or something like that on Friday to make the cut, which to my understanding was Fred Couples' 500th made cut on the PGA Tour, which is absolutely really Incredible. So congratulations to Fred Couples, and uh, congratulations again to Kevin Tway uh, for your win at the Safeway Open up here in Napa. All right, a couple other notes here, everybody, before uh, I say goodbye. These are actually things that are fairly related to the PGA Tour. 
um, but you know aren't quite as directly tied to it. Um, starting in 2020, uh, the Turner Sports or Turner Broadcasting will no longer be carrying coverage of the PGA Championship on Thursday and Friday. It, it was just announced that ESPN, uh, in a fashion very similar to the arrangement they have for the Masters, is actually going to be broadcasting the first and second round of the PGA Championship starting in 2020. So uh, this upcoming year in 2019 will be the last year that TNT will carry the first two rounds before they kick it off to CBS for the weekend. And then in 2020, and keep in mind, 2020 is going to be the PGA Championship at Harding Park right here in our backyard, San Francisco's uh, uh, finest municipal golf course, uh, not named Sharp Park is going to be hosting a major championship. So that 2020 PGA Championship uh, at Harding Park, rounds one and two will be broadcast on ESPN with uh, rounds three and the final round, of course, broadcast on CBS with uh, Mr. Jim Nance himself. So cool little broadcasting note there. Um, Also, as it relates to broadcasting, uh, Golf Channel has just come out and they have reported they had the best third quarter in terms of viewership ever. In the history of the Golf Channel, they have never had more viewers in a single third quarter than they did in 2018. It does not take a scientist to uh, kind of, you know, look at everything and be like, it really is actually the responsibility of one person, and of course that is Tiger Woods. The, The Tiger effect on the golf economy is incredible. I know I've spoken about this at nauseum several times before on the podcast, but it is really crazy how when Tiger Woods is good, Everybody in the golf industry benefits. People become more interested in golf. So, you know, golf professionals are going to be given more lessons. You know, golf retailers are going to be selling more golf clubs because they want, you know, people want to go out and play more golf. They're a little more interested. They want to pick up some new sticks. You know, for, you know, in terms of professionals, you know, <laughs> these television networks are going to be able to sell their uh, their advertising for two, three hundred percent of what they were normally selling it uh, when Tiger Woods was not in the mix. It's just, the effect that Tiger has on every aspect of the golf industry is absolutely incredible, and it was just a, a, a cool and funny little reminder when I saw this uh, stat about the Golf Channel and how they have now had the most successful third quarter in terms of viewership in the history of the network. Um, so pretty cool stuff there. Uh, another little note, um, if you are a big fan of the United States president, uh, Don Trump, uh, you know, obviously he is a big golfer. He uh, he purchased the historic Turnberry Resort over in Scotland uh, and, of course, you know, promptly bastardized the whole thing by throwing his uh, his name and his shitty family shield all over it. And, uh, of course, you know, after having done so, uh, after commenting how it is remarkably successful, uh, it has fallen three million pounds short of its projected profits for 2018. Uh, it appears that people are still going to play the golf course in droves, but... Uh, for whatever reasons, whether it be personal reasons or economic reasons, uh, a lot of people tend to not be staying at the resort, simply just going to play a little golf and leaving, which has kind of hurt its profits. So we will see how that will affect the uh, the Trump golf portfolio going forward. Um, whether Trump stays as an you know an owner and it you know is remains as part of the Trump golf portfolio going forward, who knows? But uh, unfortunately. Uh, for Don, it has fallen several million pounds short of its projected profits, so we'll see how that affects the golf course going forward. And then the last bit of news I have for you all today is that it was announced finally what the upcoming World Golf Hall of Fame class. Uh, it's going to consist of five folks, and uh, all five incredibly deserving uh, of being inducted into the Golf Hall of Fame. Uh, Miss Peggy Kirkbell, who was, you know, 
uh, passed away a few years back. Uh, one of the great amateur female golfers in the history of the United States. Um, you know, she was defeating, you know, golf legends like Patty Berg back in 1950, you know, amateur events at Augusta Golf Club. And it, it's just really, really cool to see her uh, posthumously getting into the World Golf Hall of Fame. She really does deserve it. She was a great ambassador for the game. I believe she was running one of the golf courses in North Carolina where Annika Sorenstam uh, won one of her first majors, and she's just got all these kinds of connections to golf. And so uh, hearty congratulations to Peggy Kirkbell and her family uh, for her induction into the Golf Hall of Fame. Uh, next, Dennis Walters, an American trick shot artist who is handicapped. He has led his whole trick shot career from a wheelchair, and so a really just inspiring individual, Mr. Dennis Walters. Good to see him get in. Another guy with just an amazingly, amazingly smooth golf swing is going into the Golf Hall of Fame. Two-time U.S. Open champion, seven PGA Tour wins, and 30 international wins over the course of his career. Ratif Goosen, the goose, going into the Hall of Fame. So congratulations to Ratif. Uh, Jan Stevenson. Now, if you don't know who Jan Stevenson is, she was kind of, uh, I think in an article that I read, it might have been Michael Bamberger on Golf.com, kind of referred to her as the Greg Norman uh, before there was the Greg, you know, before the White Shark kind of, you know, made his mark on the golf world. Uh, Australian golfer, dominant, and she was really the first uh, woman to kind of use sexuality to promote herself and promote women's golf. Uh, back in the 80s when every guy in the United States had a picture or a poster of Farrah Fawcett on their walls, she kind of capitalized on that whole thing, and there was a, uh, a golf calendar going around that became immensely popular that had a photo of her uh, clothless in a... I believe it was a bathtub full of Max Fly golf balls. Uh, you know, so a somewhat iconic uh, golf photograph. But you know, the thing about it is she wasn't just kind of like a sex symbol. Um, she also had a lot of game. I believe she won over 15 uh, professional events in the United States over the course of her career. And really, again, turned out to be a great ambassador for the game and really helped to grow women's golf back in the 1980s. So a very hearty congratulations to Jan Stevenson. And then finally, uh, former Masters Chairman of Augusta National Golf Club, Billy Payne is going to be going into the World Golf Hall of Fame. You know, Billy uh, did an immense amount of work to improve the Masters tournament itself, specifically did a lot to improve it for the players uh, in terms of reducing the amount of participants in the field, improving the practice areas, making it easier for guys participating in the golf tournament to get to and from the golf course. And then, of course, from a consumer or spectator standpoint, he is one of the first guys to really embrace the Internet as it pertains to uh, getting viewers online. I mean, I think you know, in 2018, the Masters Tournament is the it is the golf event that sets the standard for online broadcasting and online involvement from fans. And almost all of that was uh, because of Billy Payne. He also took the uh, the whole Grow the Game initiative for golf very very seriously, uh, starting a couple of amateur golf tournaments and kind of lay and sort of laying the groundwork for Fred Ridley to then put together the women's. Uh, amateur championship, which will start next year at Augusta National Golf Club. So um, all five members of this Hall of Fame class are well, well deserving. And congratulations again to Peggy Kirkbell, Dennis Walters, Retief Goosen, Jan Stevenson, and Billy Payne. And uh, with that, everybody, we got to get going. I got to keep on keeping on. So I hope you all have a great rest of your week, a wonderful weekend filled with golf. If you are going to be in the Portland area playing any golf, you know, it should be a little message, Kyle at golfguy.net or get at me on Twitter at KSurlo. Um, be fun to see you. Go grab a drink, you know, get get a little golfing. But uh, otherwise, I hope y'all have a fantastic weekend filled with golf. And until next week, mahalo.